really, really pleased that, uh, um, that, that Stuart is with us. Um, it's not often that we get people at CEO level to come and share their thoughts on sales, and, uh, and Stuart is, is fitting, fitting that, that role very well. Come on up. Can we give him a round of applause? Thanks, Phil. <laughs> I was half expecting the Japanese national anthem after the rugby at the weekend, but there's a, there's a, few, there's a few Scots in the room, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. There's a pub just down the road. Give me 20 minutes to get this over with and we'll be there. How are you all? I get the graveyard shift, yeah? So Phil told me it's going to be a room full of senior salespeople. Um, you're actually quite a good looking crowd, I have to say. Um, I'm quite surprised because normally it's uh, the less good looking ones that get more senior, I found in my industry. As you can see from my photograph that was taken 22 years ago. That, we, um, that the press guys send out. Anyway, I'm delighted to be here. There's, there's a story how I ended up here. I'll talk about where I've come from in a sec, but the reason why we're here supporting Phil and the guys is we've gone through a significant sales transformation program in the last 12, 18 months in our business, which Middlesex University has been part of. Phil and his team have been part of. Brian Tilley, who's here from Consali, has been supporting us as well. Brian and I have been building sales teams since 2002, I think I, uh, I worked out. Well, we're still doing it, so we haven't been found out yet, would be the, uh, would be the obvious thing. But uh, it's, I work in an industry where people think Summer Holiday by Cliff Richard explains exactly what we do, okay? <laughs> or, or when I got the job at Royal Caribbean, my kids changed the ringtone to the theme to the love boat on my phone, you know? So, uh, so they think it's like that. So we're constantly pushing boundaries to try and find an element of differentiation, and we're trying to do that with our sales team as well. But I'll talk about that in a sec. Just to give you a little bit about my background, so I've, I've, I've been promoted twice in the last six minutes of introductions, but I'm the Vice President for Europe, <laughs> Middle East and Africa, although my boss has just left, so I'm wondering if Phil knows something I don't. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I look after our commercial operations in Europe, Middle East and Africa for three brands. You can see the logos at the top, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity Cruises and Azamara cruises as well. Uh, we, we're responsible for just about a billion dollars of revenue to the company, um, but 750,000 passengers that we have eight managed markets in Europe and Gaia, who's our general manager for the Nordics markets here today. And then we have 79 international representatives uh, that look after the areas where it's important to us, but we're just not big enough to have our own people there and we have a team who manage them. I also run a second company, which is RCL Cruises Limited, which is our UK parent company for everything that happens outside the US, which has actually allowed me to get involved in the operational side of the business. So if you need to understand the pointy end of the ship to the boot, I can give you all the language that you need to understand with that um, as well. So it's been a journey from the days when at the age of 17, I crashed out of school because I couldn't be bothered doing my hires or A-levels and uh, on the back of my outstanding performance with my O-levels, and I uh, went to Tenerife to be a DJ for 12 months. That's uh, where I started. And I came back from doing that and uh, fell in love with a girl who I thought loved me as well. And her father was a regional manager of a travel agent. And he said, my daughter's not going out with a DJ. She's going out with a travel agent. You're coming to work for me. And that's how I got in travel. It honestly was that planned. And then through a journey of travel agent, tour op, airline, um, I did my own dot-com startup in 2000 into the hotel industry for a few years. I was a consultant for five years and then I joined Royal six years ago. It's kind of been a travel industry route. Half of it in sales, I'm a key account guy at heart, 
and then the rest of it moving into general management. And I work for this company here. I thought it'd be good just to show you a video of one of the ships in the background so you understand it's not all love boat because we do some pretty sexy stuff when we build our ships. Uh, we do, really do break boundaries when we're building the ships. But Royal's a $9 billion S&P 500 company based out of Miami of Norwegian heritage. It's our 50th birthday this year. Um, Guy and I hosted a 50th birthday party in May up in Oslo um, for, the, for the company. We now have seven brands because we just bought Silversea uh, last year in a $3 billion transaction. And throughout the world, we've got somewhere in the region of 800 salespeople. Just put it into context of the size. Our average ticket price is $1,100. Um, so we are high value and we also are a business to trade brand predominantly. So it goes between 25% of our business comes direct. Guys get the highest count at 50% in the Nordics. But in general, we're about 30% people come to us and 70% we work with intermediaries and our sales teams work with intermediaries to try and, um, try and get the business in. And one of the things we try and do is recognize ourselves as different than an industry that's full of big white ships in a sea of gray. It's the only way I can describe it. And in order to do that, we've had to have a look and see at who has really managed to push the boundaries. And the reason why that's important to us, we're market leaders in the US. We're market leaders in Norway, and there is not another market anywhere in the world where we're a market leader. We're always a secondary or a challenger brand. There's always someone bigger, like in the UK, P&O, are a domestic brand. If I go to Germany, you've got Aida and TUI, who are domestic brands. So we're always the secondary brand, the tertiary brand. Uh, within the marketplace. So we need to act and think like secondary and tertiary brands. Um, so what we do is we look for inspiration. We don't know what we don't know. So we work with companies like Airbnb, Punk IPA, which is just an amazing brand with innovative people. And, you know, Virgin are coming into the cruise industry, but Virgin Atlantic really did set the scene. I was in the airline industry and uh, when Richard Branson launched Virgin Atlantic and he took the lighthouse position for the whole airline industry. So at the time he was head to head with Lord King and British Airways and he was getting four times the earned media with his three aircraft than British Airways was getting with 280 aircraft because he decided to take that lighthouse position. And we try and do that. We try and learn from what these, uh, what these brands do. Um, and we also look at people that aren't that good at it. Does anyone here like pizza? Right, which of the four would you choose? Before you decide, let me tell you that all four are forming the, following the formula within the pizza industry, which is, let's cut the cheese at 10 past four, and let's make sure it's nice and stringy, because stringy cheese means great pizza, right? Not one of them is differentiating in any way, and it's not just the pizza industry that do that, because if I go on to the watch industry, you will spot that every single premium watch brand that sells watches, sells a watch with the face at 10 to two. Why? Can anyone tell me? Why did the first one do it that way? It's called the smiley face. It looks like the watch is smiling at you. And just to show how that the best innovators in the world are following it, even Apple have started doing it with their new iWatch as well, yeah? So everyone's doing it. So we need to try and find, you know, we look at who differentiate and who don't differentiate, and we look at um, some trends. And one of the best things I've done in my six years in the business is I, I started working with a company called Eating the Big Fish. You may have read the book, Eating the Big Fish. It's uh, written by a chap called Adam Morgan. He's also got a consultancy in the UK. And their reason for living is advising challenger brands. It's what they do. They do it for a living. Uh, that pizza slide I've actually taken from one of their decks. And 
I would have taken the watch slide as well, but at Tiger Woods at a bad time in it, so I decided not to do that. But uh, they are, they live by principles of challenger brands. And there's two or three things that we picked up from. Firstly was Branson's lighthouse position. You have to take the moral high ground on certain issues within your business. So the Celebrity Cruises brand, our brand president, Lisa lutov Perlow, uh, was awarded the Eleanor Roosevelt Award yesterday, along with Chelsea Clinton, for her work in pushing female equality within the marketplace. Um, Gaia is our spokesperson on the environment. Our industry comes under a lot, a lot of pressure from environmentalist groups. We're actually really good at a lot of the stuff. And we're so good at it, but we don't generally shout about it. We've had to take the lighthouse position on behalf of the industry about emissions, about mass tourism, things like that. So we choose to take that position, even though we're not the biggest in the markets that we operate. The first thing we had to do was just break away from the norm in our own industry. So if you think of the watches and you think of the pizzas, this is what's known as the 4 p.m. Sea of Grey shot, okay? That you will find in the front of every single cruise line brochure. So Princess up here obviously didn't have the marketing budget to take away the clouds. Um, Regent didn't have the marketing budget to do the shoot in a day it was sunny at all, as you can see from theirs. Um, these guys here are just so happy with the front bit of the ship here, you can't see the sea. And then you've got uh, Cunard down here who have got a great marketing budget because they've done everything right. They've got the sea the right color. They've got the sky the right color. The only problem is they've got Liverpool in the background. But uh, if you look at all that, what we've had to do is actually, even in our marketing side, begin to break away from the norm and begin to break away from the way that we present our ships. So coming on screen now is Edge. And you can see the photography, the treatment's different. We're proud enough to show our ships at night, but I want you to focus on one thing. And that's this thing here, which is called the magic carpet. It's the size of two tennis courts. And when the ship is in port, it comes down to here and you can go and tender ships to go and visit small destinations that big cruise ships can't go in. When it's sailing, it's here at night and it's a sushi restaurant. And during the day it's up here and it's a bar. And we move this up and down the ship. And don't worry if you're in one of these staterooms because it goes past in three minutes. So you, you, you don't get your view taken away. The reason I'm showing you that is the way we build our ships, we do iconic things. Every one of our ships will have an iconic feature that stands us out from the big white ships in the Sea of Grey. And the reason why we do it is quite simply this. We're not the market leaders in lots of our markets. And if we try to fight, if I tried to take on P&O in the UK, I would lose. They can outspend me six to one. Their brand awareness in the UK is 89, mine's 71. There is no way I could close that gap or invest in the market to close that gap. So I never ever fight. What we do is race, okay? Because we can win the race. And what we try and do is be nimbler, be faster, and be quicker, just like we are when we build our ships, when we build our hardware and we push it through. If we were turning up with the exact same commercial deals, the exact same salespeople, wearing the exact same suits, driving the exact same cars, going to see the exact same travel agents, and we were not differentiating in any way, shape or form. We have a company whose DNA follows on from Gerald Ford when he was designing his first ever motor car. When he gave that famous quote, which my chairman quotes often, which quite simply is, if I asked customers in those days what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. We do a little bit of market research, but we try and anticipate what customer needs are, but we were not doing that in the way we were running our sales and our commercial teams. And we had to find a way to bring that beautiful DNA that was in our company that gave us permission to race and not fight and bring it into what
we were doing. And that was a task, simply, that we set ourselves to. That was all we said. Can you guys go away and find a way that we can do things differently? And we set about the task. And we had to start with the sales leadership and sales philosophy. Phil and I have spoken a couple of times about the mix between an empathetical sales team and a consultative sales team. And in the travel industry, the sales organizations, is anyone here from travel before I uh, insult you? Okay, you guys are really good because you're with... But you might agree with this, you might agree with this, that generally in the travel industry, your salespeople are far more empathetical than they are consultative. My first hotel job I went into, I sat down with my key account director and said to him, who's your biggest account? Expatel. Tell me there are three business objectives for the next 12 months that we can help them be successful so we can get business. Well, they want to sell more hotel rooms. Okay, that's fine. That's a good objective. We'll go with that. Who's your, uh, who's your contact there? Curtis Shah. What's his wife's name and what's his favorite cake? And I got the wife's name and the favorite cake because that's the level our salespeople were operating at. They were great relationship builders, but they were not consultative salespeople and account managers. They didn't have that. So we had to take ourselves from being run about where the other guys are, which was a seven or eight out of 10 within our industry, and reestablish a new high and say, what can we do differently that no other sales team can follow? What can we make our unique proposition, our differentiator, that no one else can do? And at that point, we worked out we couldn't find the answer in travel. So I went out and employed a sales director from PepsiCo, who prior to coming into our business, had been running the Subway account globally for Pepsi. So this guy knew how to add up, knew how to negotiate, knew how to be hard when he had to with distributors, but also knew how to drive great sales performance. Critically, what Ben knew how to do was drive a consultative approach to how we were selling. But he also knew about tools that weren't in the travel industry that would give us a competitive edge if we brought them in. So that's what we set about doing. But the first thing we had to do was change the mindset of our team and change the DNA of our team. And that, to be honest with you, involved us losing a couple of people, but then bringing some people into the business who had a different mindset. It couldn't be Ben and I on our own. We had to have other people in the business who lived and thought like FMCG within a travel industry. But we also started talking to the team about challenging. So the presentation I've just given to you people, we gave at our sales conference a couple of years ago in Sages, and we actually themed the conference challengers only because we wanted them to start beginning thinking about challenging. One of the things we found with the sales team was they didn't think they had permission to do things differently. They thought they had to follow rules. And what we had to say to them is, all glass ceilings are gone. You do what you have to do to make money for yourself and for your customers. And we took that thought process through all the influences on our sale. Now, I'm not going to talk about our consumers today because what I've taken you through getting up to this point in the presentation, that has then led to a significant piece of work done around who's a customer, how does a customer buy, what do they want to buy, how do we market to them, what's the best channel to reach them, which I'm not going to share today. What I'm going to talk about is our trade partners and how they've gone through a change process with us and also our commercial teams and what we've done to develop them. So let's start off with our trade partners first of all. So the first thing we thought was, if you guys think summer holiday is what I do for a living and Love Boat is the answer, there's 15,000 high street travel agents out there. 15,000. And we worked out that about 200 of them had been on a cruise ship. So the first thing we said was, let's get as many of them as a product as we can. So I'm going to show you a video in a minute of how we take the cruise ship to them. But what we started doing was making sure that every turn that we had a ship in across Europe, we put a lot of budget behind it, 
and we put innovative training programmes in and we started inviting travel agents close to the port to come and see the ship on eternity. Just touch and feel the product. And these were travel agents who were selling package holidays, city breaks, build your own package, but they weren't selling cruise. Cruise was not within their area of consideration, which is quite ironic for a low um, profit industry because our ticket price is significantly higher than most other sectors. So the commission that the agent would make if they took the time to sell us would be more. So we began to educate and we did some sexy things like we had a ship that came into uh, um, Southampton that happened to have a night stop there. So we went and got uh, a couple of uh, very well-known DJs in and did a night set in uh, one of the clubs on board, invited 800 travel agents to come on and have a night, uh, club night. Now, by the time they got to the club night, we'd shown them every single inch of the ship and they'd signed their life away to us, but that's how we got them in. Um, we also brought in what we affectionately call kick-ass training. We reviewed what our competitors were doing and they were all doing buck standard. They weren't using acetate to present, for those of you old enough to remember that, but they weren't <laughs> far off that. Many were using state-of-the-art facsimile machines to develop training, deliver training materials. We, so we actually brought an organisation in and said, we want you to completely revolutionise what we're doing. We've got this beautiful tool called salesforce.com, which many of us probably use. We spend a fortune on it. We buy a Ferrari and we drive it like a Ford Mondeo because we don't understand how to use the rest of it. We brought a company in to build some middleware, iPad, mobile based, and we took the laptops off the sales team completely. We haven't seen clip art since. It's beautiful, right? <laughs> but it also means every single piece of information that we put out there is vetted by our content team and hits the market. And if someone goes in and says, do you know about cruising in the Mediterranean? I don't. Let me show you on my iPad. Did you like that? Yes. I'll press a button and you'll get that in a format in your inbox. You can now share that with your team. So we went to that level. No one was anywhere near us in doing this. But this was a genius thing that we brought in from Pepsi, which was Club Royal. We brought Club Royal in, which is a loyalty scheme, which started off as you give us a booking, we'll give you five pounds. And even if the booking cancels, you can keep the five pounds because you try to sell. We've got about a 9% cancellation rate, so we did the maths. But then we took it on to the next level, which is we launched Greece as our West End show on a ship sailing in the UK in 2016. So we ran a competition for 200 travel agents to go to Rydell High in Los Angeles. And to get to Rydell High, you had to do two things. You got points for selling cruises, but you also got points for your social media reach. So we were monitoring through listening tools what you were doing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, how you were building your own travel community. And we actually ran an online piece of kit that showed your face and where you were in this queue of people. And we had about 2,000 travel agents trying to get into the top 200. And if they went home at night and they dropped out, they would send half a dozen tweets out about our product to try and get them up there. But that's real challenge of thinking now, because no one in the industry was doing that at all. So we've tried to give them all the challenger tools that we have, right back to the retail sales team. We did a very old fashioned thing. We gave them branded cars and put them back in uniforms. We gave them iPads that they switched on in the morning that told them who they were calling on and actually gave them an agenda they should follow within the call. And before they get into the call, they'd actually walk around the three nearest competitors and tell us what's in the window and take images and send it back. Good old fashioned FMCG merchandising for retail stores we brought to the travel industry. No one else was doing it at that time. We also gave the sales team some kick-ass training and in actual fact started to tr train them to act and think and breathe like challengers rather than act and think and breathe like salespeople. We encouraged them to take risks. We encouraged them to come to us and give us ideas to invest and spend money and find new ways to do things. 
And what we also did was put the right rewards in. Now, this may seem small, but this is critical. Bear in mind, by this time, we've got 12,000 travel agents on our books. We know who they are. And for those of you in FMCG, their parent companies struggle to control the communication we've got them because we are now communicating direct to them. They've got our MasterCard. This was great two weeks ago when Thomas Cook went bust because two weeks ago we managed to send a text to the 3,200 Commerce Cook members of staff who we had in our books who lost their jobs and say, can we help you? What can we do to help you and your customers? So whilst we were waiting, we, we actually, believe it or not, we got the files from the administrators of Thomas Cook yesterday for all our guests, and we've got 15,000 guests still overseas. And we finally got the files yesterday, but we could communicate on day one with every single member of staff. That wasn't the plan for this scheme, but the great thing about this scheme is we brought in two monthly incentives. We incentivized our salespeople on two-month targets. We incentivized the travel agents on two-month targets, on booked, not sailed. We incentivized our Club Royal members on two-month targets. And then we ran promotions for the consumers on the same two months. And in actual fact, we had everyone pulling in the same direction at the same time. And it meant if that direction wasn't working every two months, we could change course and speed. We didn't have to wait to the end of a 12-month program in order to do that. And has it worked? Well, you know, I, I grew up in, the, in sales. And I remember I had a boss early in my career turn around to me and said, the minute you win an award that's outside your category, I'll think you're doing a good sales job. So I'm delighted to say that this picture here has Ben in the middle. So Ben was a chap we brought in from PepsiCo. If any of you work for PepsiCo, you'll recognize this guy as well, because Stuart Byron was the chief analyst from PepsiCo we brought in. Uh, he's very famous. He's also very funny. Um, and uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, but um, this was a Travel Weekly Global Awards, which is our big industry awards in January. We won the best cruise line. We won the best sales support. But bear in mind, this is a travel industry, and we are 2% market share when you take the full UK travel industry, 2%. We won the best supplier sales team, beating every other airline, every other car hire. So that says to us that what we're doing is resonating with the wider travel industry, and that's challenger mentality. We've been racing, we've not been fighting, we've been punching well above our weight, and as a result, we're picking up the awards. But the critical thing in this is we're leaving a legacy within the business because we now have a team of disciples within our teams who understand challenger behavior in our sales environment. But can we stand still? We can't. So uh, 50 years ago, we launched the Song of Norway. The Song of Norway, you could actually pick up and put down inside this ship, which is the greatest iteration of the one that I showed you the video for. You would have seen a central park with 12,000 trees and shrubs in there. That ship could sit inside it. That's called Wonder of the Seas. We announced Wonder of the Seas two days ago. It's going to be the first mega ship to sail out of China in 2023. We started building her this week. So that shows you the lead time that we have with, uh, with, with this product. But the point I'm making, and so what in this, I know what's going on with that ship and what's been built with it. We're not sharing it publicly yet, but we continue to recognize that we ask people what they wanted. They say faster horses, and we need to anticipate what consumer demands are, because these assets have got a 35-year life, 35-year life. And what we're saying is we have to continue to do that in the sales arena because our competitors are watching us. They're trying to copy us. They don't necessarily have the DNA in their leadership to do it. But what they haven't expected is we keep doing that. Thank you. That was our journey. Any comments, questions? So any, any questions of, of Stuart?
Excellent. No, I'm not going to not take a question. I'm sure there will be some in the audience. It's just this post-lunch. Any questions for Stuart? Okay, sure. What's your biggest delight from having done this? Ben, you saw there, joined as a sales director. He's now running our biggest market outside the U. Um, the U, uh, the US, which shows us that FMCG can come into the travel industry, can make a difference, can bring challenger behaviour and can be rewarded in it. So I think that's probably, we've got three or four stories. We've got some areas, Guy joined us 12 months ago from, 18 months ago now from FMCG, classical FMCG background. So we're still bringing leadership in, but we're beginning to grow our own timber and we're seeing that moving through the ranks. And that's what I'm saying, we've got these disciples who think, breathe and act, like challengers, now coming into senior leadership positions. So my biggest delight is if I were to leave the company tomorrow, I think we would find that this thing would stick because we've now got that in our DNA. Okay. Looks like no more questions. I think you've stunned them into silence there, Stuart. If anyone wants to book a cruise. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Thank you very much, Stuart. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was really good.